Bishop. Thank you, Pastor. Good afternoon, everybody. A lot of strange faces here. And they're the ones I know. Uh, it's all right. You've got to look at mine. It's only fair. You should have to look back. That's fine. A uh, lot of new faces, too. What a blessing. And what about this building? Praise God. I remember the Scout Hall. I remember the Chiller Room or the Icebox. Or the... We've been in some chilly places over the years, but God has been good. And ten years, what a great blessing it is that ten years on and getting ready to send Brother, uh, Brother Eddie out to start a work out in Sunbury for the glory of the Lord. Uh, when we first started in evangelism, we preached in a little church that used to be out at uh, Sunbury. And my wife would probably remember it. We only had, there was uh, three, uh, three of us. Nathan was just a, a newborn baby and we were staying at the Curley's house living in a caravan on the, on the front driveway and uh, I rolled over in the middle of the night and they didn't have any props at the end of the caravan and about 2 o'clock in the morning the whole thing went on a 45 degree angle and it was interesting you don't forget things like that and you praise God for them that you survived them as well but, uh, but, and it was amazing because I was a lot thinner back then too but uh, <laughs> But uh, some of those pictures bring back a, a lot of memories, uh, a lot of good memories, seeing some uh, faithful uh, servants of God. I see Brother Weeks has been here, and Brother Weeks is just about to start meetings up in uh, Nowra in New South Wales, and uh, just a, a real blessing to see. And I think as Brother Eddie said, Pastor Vesley told him to encourage him to come over this way. It was because he doesn't like you. He does have to be with you. I just stay there to annoy him. And great to see a number of folks visiting from the uh, from the, the Way Baptist down in Coburg this afternoon. They all had to they all had to buzz off out the door. We told them we're not eating, and so they've all left. Uh, but, uh, I can say that about them because we're friends. And it's a great church to go to. I, I enjoy. Arabic churches are a wonderful church to go to. You can eat as much garlic as you like before you get there and nobody notices. And, uh, so I'm really, really thankful for that. But uh, we've known, some of the folks here we've known a long, long time and they've been a great blessing, great encouragement to us uh, over the years. And it is a great encouragement to our heart uh, to see the way uh, so many of you are still pressing on and growing in the Lord. I know you've been through uh, tough times, been through difficult times. I've been through some very teary, uh, heartbreaking times, and I rejoice and praise God to look around the assembly and see you're still here. And by God's grace, uh, I trust you're still soldering on. But we're going to open our Bibles this afternoon to the book of Galatians and chapter 5. Galatians and chapter 5. We don't want to uh, spend too long. We're going to go as quickly as we possibly can because Pastor's looking a little lean and needs his dessert. And, uh, the Apostle Paul was very busy, mightily used of God. Uh, the uh, Romans thought that they could uh, shut him up by sticking him in a prison. And then he conquered the Roman Empire with a pen. And uh, in his ministry, he had a great desire to go to Galatia, but the Lord never ever seemed to open the door for him. And yet for some reason, the Lord in his grace allowed churches to be established in Galatia. 
and uh, the Apostle Paul was very likely instrumental in the training and the preparation of the servants of God who went to those churches and ministered and, and built strong churches. We're also mindful that there were those that followed Paul everywhere he went. Uh, in the book of Philippians, he refers to them as the workers of the concision. They gloried in the mutilating of people. They thought that they made converts for Judaism by simple uh, the methods of circumcision, trying to bring men and women under the bondage of the law of Moses, under the guise of being spiritual. So uh, virtually everywhere Paul went, and even places he didn't go, but where the gospel went, these people came along and were very, very uh, studious and diligent in trying to uh, sow the tares among the wheat to try and uproot the tender plant of the gospel fruit. And uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writes a very strong letter uh, to the churches of Galatia. Uh, and it's different from the other letters. When you read Paul's epistles, he begins by giving thanks to God for them and praising them and encouraging them. Uh, it's not like that when you start the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul is really uh, has to take a stand in defending his office as an apostle of Christ, uh, not of men, neither by men. He said, you know, they didn't vote for me. I wasn't elected by them up in the upper room. They didn't draw lots or anything for me. I'm appointed of God. Uh, but he, his chief concern, he says, that he are so soon removed from the gospel. And uh, these people had been led astray into another gospel. And so the first five chapters are literally written to correct the error of false teaching that would destroy the foundation that, that was being built upon here by perverting the work, the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Virtually in everywhere we look in the Bible, whenever the false teachers rear their ugly head and unfortunately their chest and their shoulders, uh, we see them tearing down the person of Christ. He's just a man. He's just a sinner. He's a good person. He was a great teacher. He never claimed to be a great teacher. He never claimed to be a good person. He claimed to be God come in the flesh. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Holy One. He claimed to be the Saviour of the world. He claimed to be the one who would give his life for the sins of the world. He claimed all that. And he makes it very, very clear in the Bible that he is not just a man. He is deity. He is the eternal God who has come and dwelt among men. One of the names given in the Bible is Emmanuel, which is God with us. His name Jesus means Saviour. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so we have this constant attack on the person and the work of Christ. They did their work well here, the false teachers in the churches of Galatia, so much so that they are now opponents of the grace of God and champions of error rather than champions of truth. When we come to chapter 5, as the tone begins to settle and he begins to move into chapter 6, uh, where he's going to exhort those who are still right with God. And by the way, if you read through chapter 6, when he says, ye which are spiritual, when I take the little phrase, ye which are spiritual, you can simply read that as if it's saying, you who are right with God. Okay, Not everybody got caught up in the error. 
Not everybody got led astray by the false teachers. And there were those who were still true to the word of God and true to the son of God. And they were going to be given the responsibility to go out and bring back those that had been driven away. Those that had been uh, uh, drawn aside by the error. Notice with me though here in chapter 5 and verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Why don't you see with me firstly there as we begin this, ad- this admission, this acknowledgement that it wasn't always this way. It wasn't always this way. These people had once upon a time stood for Christ. These people had been faithful servants, preachers, teachers, people who were living testimonies of the power of the gospel of Christ. It wasn't always false teaching. It wasn't always away with such and one. It wasn't always, you know, let, let's get into the law. Let's all become Jews. Let's all, uh, all the males, let's all get circumcised. Uh, let's all go out and, 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 you know, try and work our way to heaven. Forget about Jesus. Forget about God. Forget about grace. Forget about faith. And let's work our way to heaven. It wasn't always that way. But someone came in, someone or ones came in, And the admission is made that, yes, it wasn't all that way, but the admission is also made that this is how it is now. Now, ten years ago, when this church started, the devil started fighting tooth and nail. And uh, I think someone made the comment during the, uh, the course of the service how the devil is always fighting. Well, semi true. If you're not doing what, what God wants you to do, the devil couldn't care less about you. He'll leave you alone. You go astray and the devil couldn't care less. If you run off into a ditch somewhere, if you drop dead on the side of the road, the devil couldn't care less. I, I've met up with people who claim to be Satan worshippers, devil worshippers. Uh, here in Australia, not just in Africa or Mauritius or Zambia and some of these other places you can go to where uh, animism and demonism, all this sort of rubbish is there. But you know, here in Australia, people say, you know, I'm a worshipper of the devil. I worship Satan. And I, tell this, uh, I met this young couple and uh, the, she was like, you ever get to talk to somebody and the husband's a bit of a wuss and the wife's got a mouth about the size of the Grand Canyon? You know? Yet the moment she opens her mouth, she doesn't sound like a Rottweiler. She sounds like one of those yappy little fluffy white dogs that won't just shut up. So sort of like they get a hold of the cuff of your trousers and won't let go. And I'm trying to talk to this guy who asked me a question and she wouldn't let off. She just kept on going and going and going and going. I said, look, excuse me a moment while I tell him, Satan doesn't love you. And this guy's eyes nearly bugged out of his head. He said, what? What? I said, Satan doesn't love you. Satan doesn't know what love is. Satan's proud, pride-filled heart, he only cares about himself. He doesn't know what love is. And he hates you. No, he doesn't. I said, yeah, he does. Why would he hate me? Because the Bible says you are made in the image of God. And your very existence is repulsive to him. It is an offence to him. Your very existence is a constant reminder to him that God is on the throne and he is not. He wants the throne. He wants to rule and reign. But God has said he will cast him out as profane. And he is in the process of doing that. And so when you hear people talk about being uh, worshippers of Satan, you need to understand he doesn't care about people at all. He only cares about himself. Whereas God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I want us to consider this afternoon, in, in the short time we have, considering whether you are running well or not. As I said, I'm, I, I'm thrilled to see people that are here for 10 years. And some folks that I know have been in other churches for more than 10 years. I think uh, Don and Winna Lister, uh, I mean, uh, they've been in churches since I was in Bible school. That's a long time ago. That, I mean, that goes back to a time when Steve Wivel had hair. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't have grown a moustache to save his life during the time. I mean, he, he was just a, a, just a fresh, young, newly married man when he came to Australia back in 1980 to run into guys like me and Kevin and Carol in Bible school. And that's probably where the hair went, uh, I would think. But, uh, but praise God, he's still going. But if you look around the room and you look around other places, you realise there are some who are not here. And there are some who have, like the Galatians, run well, but are no longer in the running. And they're not here or here or here. They're not where they ought to be spiritually. They've been led astray. They've been hurt. They've been bruised. They've been broken. And they're not where they ought to be with the Lord. Just like some of these people. And when I look at this passage, I ask myself, am I going forward or am I going back? I mean, for me, when I, whenever I was challenged about my walk with the Lord, I used to ask myself, to what should I go back to? I'm, a, I'm an old, drunken, foul-mouthed fornicator. A liar, a cheat, a thief. And I could tell you, as a, before I was saved, they were my good points. But, uh, I mean, I, lost and dead in sin, just a, a rebellious, drunken young man, and I, I would often think to myself, do I really want to go back to that? What kind of a life did I have when I was so aware, in, in God's own way, God had made me very aware of the, of the, of the emptiness and the, uh, and the filthiness uh, that was within my life? And I wasn't a happy person. I could be the life of the party, but inside I was so empty, so broken. And this is the thing. Multitudes of people today are broken inside and they don't know it. They're aware of it, but they don't know what is wrong with it. They don't know that there is healing in the touch of Christ. They don't realise that he is the only one that can fix the broken. Isn't that one of the very reasons he came according to the prophet Isaiah and there in the book of Luke that he came to, to heal the broken hearted? That's us. In our natural state, we are broken. Our sin has crippled us, has broken us, has ruined us, has marred us, has spoiled us and soiled us and only Christ can take care of the sin. And yet for some reason, some people do go back. And so I ask myself the question, am I going back? Are you going back? We could ask ourselves, uh, an anniversary service, uh, sort of like a New Year's Eve. You know, when people sit down and you take stock of the year that's gone behind you and the year ahead of you, uh, you know, and, and we sort of sit down and we evaluate, what have I really done? And what am I thinking of doing? Where, you know, where am I? Where have I been? Where am I going? Anniversary service can be like that. Sit down and say, you know, where am I right now? Am I where I ought to be spiritually? Where have I come from? And where am I going to? 
ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Look for a moment here in the, uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. You need to understand, one of the reasons why some people are not where they ought to be spiritually <coughs> is very simply this. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. When it comes to a spiritual life, when it comes to being right with God, we need to understand there is only one foundation that can be built upon. There is only one footing for you and I to have spiritual life. And it's not church. We saw pictures there of people being baptised. Baptism won't save you. People get saved because they have believed. When Philip said to, was travelling with the Ethiopian eunuch there in Acts chapter 8, uh, the, the eunuch, having trusted Christ, said, You know, see, here is water. What doth hinder me being baptised? Why can't I be baptised? And the response was, If thou believest, thou canst. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And was baptised on the credibility of his belief and his trust in Christ. Church doesn't save people. Baptism doesn't save people. Some churches on their anniversary will have a special observance of what we call the Lord's table or communion. But the bread and, and, and the grape juice, that won't save you. Clean living won't save you. I trust you live a clean life. I trust you can put your head on the pillow at night knowing that you haven't done some wicked evil deed that will sometime be either recompensed to you by God or by men. But you live a clean and an honest life. But understand this, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The foundation for salvation is Christ. And the idea, the very concept of people drifting away from Christ, even having made some sort of profession or confession of Christ, without having made a real possession of Christ, has been an ongoing problem since the time of the New Testament and even before. Listen to what John said in 1 John and chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Verse 19. They went out from us. Here we have a body of people meeting together, fellowshipping together. Jude talks about them and says they are spots in your love feasts. They are clouds without rain. They are wells without water. They are trees that are plucked up by the roots, twice dead, having no fruit. And here he says, listen, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What's he talking about? He's talking about people who once upon a time sang in the choir or stood up and led the service or shook hands at the door and set up the seats and vacuumed the floor and went out and knocked doors and stood on corners and gave out tracts and taught Sunday school and worked in the youth group or, or helped with the kids club or washed dishes in the kitchen, made cheesecakes for dessert. or They did something uh, as part of the church family but they're not here anymore. And it's not the cooking. And it's not the clean, comfortable building. 
They might have said it was the cold chilly building. But it wasn't the cold chilly building. And even when it was a, 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 a very old cobbled together old scandal, it wasn't scandal, wasn't the problem. Those nasty plastic frame moulded seats were not the problem. The bare stone floor with the breeze coming through the back door was not the problem. The problem was their heart. You see, there's a very, very serious thing to sit under the sound of the gospel and respond emotionally. To get all excited about Christ dying for our sin and, and even having a, an admission within and without that I am a sinner and I need to be saved and yet still not trust and rest in Christ and Christ alone. And people can have an emotional experience and the, the Lord Jesus himself referred to this in what we call the parable of the sower. He talked about the, the, the sower went out to sow and he said, the sower soweth the word of God. He said, and these are they by the wayside where the fowls of the air come and, and, and it's eaten up. He said, and these are they that fell among the stony ground and they spring up and immediately when the sun's up, they're offended. He talked about people having an emotional response. Now you be very careful about your emotions in the spiritual realm. One old Bible teacher used to talk about the Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania steam train from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, long level straight track that went for some 200 miles. He said they would come out of the old coal city of Pittsburgh and they would wind the train up there, they'd get it up to a full head of steam, then they'd shut off the throttle and the sheer momentum would go over 100 miles on a level straight track. A hundred miles consuming no fuel, needing no energy, based on the experience that they got all pumped up in the old boilers there, and away they went. People do that too. They have some experience, and the momentum carries them, but only for a time, only for a certain distance. These people started out looking like they were the real deal. But the problem is, if you're not saved and you're serving God, you're serving in the power of your own flesh, in the power of your own strength. And can we use the modern parlance? You won't cut it. You won't make it. You cannot keep. You will not make the distance. That's why the Proverbs, the wise men in Proverbs said, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. God's strength is never small. God's strength is never limited. God's strength is never uh, overworked or overwhelmed. God's strength is always supreme and always substantial and always enough. But when people try and serve God and live a Christian life in the power of their own flesh, their own strength, they are due. And sooner or later they went out from us for they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But John says, they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now there is no joy in that. There is no, there, there is no thrill in the sight. Oh, well, he's a you know, dirty old backslider. Well, what are you, hey man, that guy's lost. Ah, ah, ah. There's no fun in that. These people are lost. Many of them are convinced in their own heart and mind they're saved. And they don't realise that the, that, that, the, that the weak, broken spiritual life they have is merely an evidence that they are still broken inside and they need Christ. 
They know about Christ, but they don't know Christ. Here in the heart. That's why the scripture says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, not with the head. With the heart man believes with righteousness. That's why Paul says, having obeyed from the heart the doctrine that was given to you. These are heart issues when we talk about spiritual things. They're not heavy. I mean, folks, if you look back through the Gospels, through the life of Christ, and then the book of Acts, and the opposition to the Apostle Paul, they were some of the most learned men in their time. But spiritually, the penny never dropped. I mean, despite all the things that they said and did, the wheel was turning, but the mouse was dead. They had all the, the, they had all the talk, but they didn't have... Christ. They had no faith. And the scripture talks about the word did not profit them being not mingled with faith. And so if we are going to be truly saved, we must have Christ and Christ alone. Praise God for a Bible preaching, Christ exalting church. Praise God that we can meet together without fear of harassment that, that, that is so common in many other places. Praise God for the freedom that we have. Praise God for the places appointed uh, and, and the times for us to, that allow us to meet in this way, to sing his praise and to preach his word and to exhort and encourage one another. But folks, the, the time is not. We've got to have Christ. There's got to be that common bond of knowing Christ as our saviour. Are you going back? Are you one of those people who just seems to keep on struggling over and over again? I shared as an illustration one time a, a young man that I'd known from back when I first started preaching back in the mid-80s. And back then I'd known him just as a single man. And then over the years I'd seen him when he was in this church and in that church and in this state and that city and that city. And, and he just seemed, and all the years that I'd known him, he'd up and down. I mean, he'd have a couple of years where he was, you know, he was busy in the church. He was Sunday school and outreach and everything like that. And, and even doing some teaching and preaching. And then he'd have a couple of years in the wilderness where he didn't go to church anymore. And oh, I don't believe that anymore. And then he'd be back again. And then over the years, we'd talk, you know, when he got married and he started a family. And, you know, and then he was actually a deacon in a church for a while. He was doing really, really well. And then back into the wilderness again. I mean, first, we're talking about this, this is over a period of 30 years. You talk about a, a, a spiritual yo-yo. And I remember going and visiting and doing some uh, ministry at a church and, and uh, we had had a men's breakfast at this church and, and this guy wasn't there. And I just happened to say in conversation to one of the men, I said, hey, where's Brunson? He said, oh, no, he doesn't come here. I said, really? He said, no, no, he hasn't been here for about a year now. I said, yeah, that's a... Well, I was here early last year. I mean, you know, he was just he was out there leading the, the, the outdoor preaching and all the, the things that were I mean he was just in area. Oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, he, he got bent out of shape about something. And I'm thinking, what's wrong here? Something wrong here. And then lo and behold, I went out to the kitchen to thank the ladies for cleaning up after our mess and everything. And as I as I'm talking through the little hole in the wall at the kitchen there, in walks this guy. Hey, how you going? I said, you know what? I finally worked you out. He's like, what? 
I said, I have worked you out. You know, all the years I've known you since you were like a, a bandy-legged little teenager, I said, I have finally worked you out. I said, I know what your problem is. He looked at me and said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, you know, the times when I've seen you busy in the church and serving the Lord and, and, and preaching and teaching and youth and Sunday school, I said, that's the fake you. I said, the man that's standing before me right now, this is the real you. You keep going back into the world. You keep going away from God because that's what you are. You have no moral compass and the law of moral gravitation says you will be what you are. You keep going to the world because that's where you belong. I said, you fooled a lot of people, even me. I said, I'm going to tell you this morning, but I don't believe you're even saved. And that's why you cannot stay in church. And that's why you cannot serve God. And that's why you have run for the last 30 plus years hot and cold, hot and cold, because that's what you are. You need to get a foundation. You need to get saved. Well, I'd like to tell you, he reached down and he said, oh, Brother Chris, thank you for telling you that. But he didn't quite go like that. He stormed out of the building, huffing and snorting and breathing out threatenings and slaughter and took off in his car with a cloud of smoke and a month later I'm home and I get this phone call you're right he said man he said I was going to go home get a gun and shoot you he said if I he said I he said I, I thought I was going to punch you in the I said well I appreciate you not doing that that's very kind of you it's bad enough being this ugly without you rearranging my face but <laughs> but he said you know I sat down and I looked, and when my wife came home, I was so angry. And he said, and after the dust finally settled, I came back that night, I spent the day out on my own, I came home. He said, for the whole week, I wouldn't talk to my wife. He said, and the following week, we started talking again. And then she said it again, and for another week, I didn't talk to her. He said, four times my wife said the same thing to me. And each time I responded by not talking to her. And I said, what did she say? I thought maybe you won't speak to me for a week if I say that. <laughs> he said, she said, maybe Brother Chris is right. He said, I said, how dare he say that to me after all the years I've known him? How dare he think that? Who does he think he is? <laughs> and she said, maybe he's right. Boom! Praise God, he got sucked. Been in church now for the last eight years, hasn't skipped a beat. Most stable years of his spiritual life. Praise God, got saved. Foundation. Foundation. Over in 1 Peter in chapter 2, we must hurry. The ice cream is melting. <laughs> as newborn babes desire, 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, notice verse 3, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, there are some people who are not doing well spiritually because they're dead. They're still dead in their sin. 
But there are other people who are not doing well spiritually, and it's a problem of food and fitness. The problem is, for many Christians today, they are sliding back into the world because they are not feeding on the Word of God. I mean, if you consider all of these mega churches today, have you ever sat down, I don't encourage it by the way, but I'm speaking past tense. Have you ever sat down, I'm not going to say go home and sit down, have you ever sat down and listened to the lolly water tripe that comes out of the mouths of these preachers and teachers, men and women, that stand in front of these audiences of thousands whose ears are still ringing from the rock concert that would deafen the Rolling Stones and put Deep Purple to shame. And they've had all the fireworks and the smoke and mirrors and everything else. They've all had a wonderful time. They've mosh pit themselves to death and now they're supposedly worshipping God. And then this guy gets up and tells them how wonderful we really all are. And what a great bargain got when God got us. And isn't he just so blessed? And isn't it just so wonderful he has us? Can you imagine how lonely God would be if he didn't have a miserable bunch of bandicoots like us? <laughs> Boo-hoo-hoo. What a load of rubbish. And they wonder why they cannot get the victory over the fleshly lusts of the world. And they have no resistance to the alluring of the filthy lucre and the mighty dollar burns a hole in their head and their heart and they can't enjoy any fellowship with God because they've got godless, weak, worldly friends. Even young Christian people who have unsaved friends. And I can say this because you've got young people here and I enjoy young people's ministries. Mark this down. People who don't love God will not help you live for God. People who don't love Christ won't help you live for Christ. And we have a huge problem with young people today who are just so worldly because there are some not-so-young people who have never drawn a clear line in the sand and said there are some things God's people just don't do. And there are certain places God's people just don't go. You say, have you got a chapter and verse for that? Yes, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It talks about prosperity there. It talks about longevity there. It talks about sanctification there, set apart to God. It talks about spiritual growth, spiritual life that is evidence as we cut ourselves off from the world and get right with God and walk with God in obedience to his word. That's why we love that little song, Obedience is the very best way. doesn't matter how you slice it, dice it or sing it, folks. Uh, I've seen, I mean, the, the kids in Zambia, when they sing the obedience song, I mean, it just absolutely just knocks the walls of the place down. They're so loud. It's a simple concept for us to understand. God delights in obedience. To obey is better than to sacrifice. To hearken is better than the fat of rams, the scripture tells us. And yet people think because I'm doing things rather than from the heart obeying the word of God. These people here, as newborn babes, desire. That's that appetite. Now, last time I visited here, we had two grandchildren. Since last November, we have six grandchildren. So we've got four grandchildren that are under a year old. It's going to make for an interesting Christmas. 
And uh, I think we're going to come and have it at your house. <laughs> then we'll come and have it here. We need a bit of room to move for some of these, these kids. But you see the appetite there? Nothing satisfies the longing of a babe but the milk. You, you know, they invent, they, 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 in, in Australia we call them dummies. In America they call them pacifiers. Now, I like the word dummy. I think it was named after the person that invented them. <laughs> you stick that in the baby's mouth and they'll shut up. And well, honestly, isn't that what you wanted? I mean, they're <laughs> I can hear myself thinking again. I'm not climbing the walls anymore. And then all of a sudden, out it comes. I mean, we had a premature baby. Our firstborn was premature. And we thought that the reason why he would get upset was because the dummy was too big. I mean, he had a tiny little mouth. It certainly changed. He had this tiny, tiny little mouth. So this doctor, this, this uh, what do you call him, paediatrician says, you know, you, you need to go to the, and get one of these special dummies called a nyuk dummy. And, and it's got a special uh, size. You get the actual, the smallest, the extra small size, and, and it's got that right shape of the latex. In it. And you pop that thing in, and, and, and it'll be just wonderful. You see, he was so small when he was born, they used to feed him through a tube, so he hadn't developed those muscles for sucking when he was breastfeeding. And so they said, you know, to, in order to, for him to feed better, you need to get that dummy in his mouth and get him sucking. Well, we'd put that thing in his mouth, and within a second, he could shoot at the end of a queen-size bed. And we said, coming in, incoming! You could never get him to suck it. Why? He didn't want a dummy. He might, he might have had a tiny tummy, but his tiny tummy was talking to his brain and saying, you are being ripped off. This thing will not feed you. Get it out, get it out, get it out, remove it. And so, out it went. But see, this is the problem. People are not being fed on the word. They go to these grand, these grand conferences and cathedrals, but they're not getting the word of God. And they're starving spirit. They may be genuinely saved and trusting Christ, but they cannot grow because they're not feeding. I tell people this all the time. There's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're a baby. We all love babies. Anyone here don't love babies? We're not even having an election, but we, we love babies. I'm not even running for parliament. We love babies. If you don't love babies, you're a sick puppy. We'll roll up a newspaper and beat you around the head with us, honey. We just went up and visited my son and his little eight-month-old Sammy. He is such a cutie. But he's only a tiny little fella. Now, if I went back in five years' time and he was still that big, I would not be a happy grandpappy. Poppy would be very unhappy, Poppy. Why? Something's wrong here. Why? Because desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow. So I look around this room and I see some of you when you were little. And some of you, well, some of you adults, you were once little. So was I. But that, we've grown. But that's God's plan. And that's God's plan for those who trust Christ the Saviour, to grow in Christ. So let me ask you, are you growing? Are you, are you learning from the Word of God? Are you exercising yourself in the Word of God? You see, it's not just a matter of our food, but a matter of our fitness. We need to exercise ourselves in the things that we know. 
We need to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do the work of God in our lives to shape and mould Christ in us as we respond to the things God shows us in our lives. We're new creatures in Christ. The old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. We call this, when we, when we have youth camp in, uh, in Africa, we call this the popo principle. You got that? The popo principle. It means put off, put on. It's there in Ephesians, it's there in Colossians. You put off the old man, you put on the new man in Christ. You go through all the things in your life that you know are not pleasing except to God, and you say, Lord, I need to get rid of this junk. I need to put me on the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to be girt about with truth. I need to be girt about with holiness. I need to have the goodness, the gentleness. The... I need to have the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in my life. It doesn't just happen, folks. It's a growing thing. I mean, if you had met me when I was first saved, I did not look saved. And I sure didn't sound saved. And there were times when my hair-trigger temper went off with a, with a thunderous roar and, uh, and nobody was safe. I praise God he's given me the victory over those things. I praise God for the things. I mean, I still remember saying to people, I look back to, as a young Christian at all the junk that was in my life, the drink and the smoke, the drugs, all this garbage in my life, and thinking to myself, how am I ever going to overcome? These things are monsters. They're giants in the land. man. I mean, what am I going to do? And I was encouraged to cry out to the Lord and ask him to give me the victory. And he did. Boop, 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 boop. Just like picking mushrooms. He just, boop, up out of the ground. Got that one, chuck it. Dig them out, get them gone. All the little bunnies from the field of corn. That was the way it worked. Now... Back when I made my request for the drinking and the smoking and all the other garbage, I wish I had asked him to give me the victory over rotten attitudes and bad hair days. Because I'm still having them 30-something years later. But, praise God, one of these days I won't have any hair at all, so I won't have to worry about bad hair days. I'll just have bald head days. But, uh, but look over here for a moment. We'll finish here in, in, in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 5. This is probably one of the saddest testimonies in the Scripture. In Hebrews 5 and verse 12, and the writer of Hebrews says, For when for a time you ought to be teachers, you know what that is? That's growing. That's maturity. That's stability. That's spiritual strength, spiritual muscle. These are people who have been under the sound of the word and they have grown in Christ. And the fruits of, the, of their walk with God has been evident there, or should be. He says, when the time when you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and have become such of need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Remember what I said? There's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're a baby. But if we look in, Hebrew, in the Ephesians chapter 4, it says, speaking the truth in love may grow up. We're meant to be growing up in Christ. Meant to be maturing in Christ, not meant to be the same anymore. God's changing us, every one of us. He's the one who laid down the plan. He's the one, I'm going to conform every one of you who trust Christ. I will conform you to the image of my own son. That's his plan. You can't improve on it, just get in on it. No? And we need to be yielded. We need to allow God to do that work. But these people here, when they ought to be teaching, 
They should have been taking the lead. They should have been ministering. They should have been serving. They should have been standing up. He says, you'd like babes. You need to go all the way back to having milk again. You know, it's like when you've been really, really sick and you, and you go into hospital and you come out and you can't sit down to a T-bone steak. Or better than that, a Costco steak. Costco steak. Or a big feed of pork ribs done in my infamous inferno oven. Mm-hmm. You cannot take the strong meat. You are not going to do a roasty pork dinner. And no, you're not even going to saturate your mouth with, with that beautiful fragrance of Uncle Don's famous Christmas pudding with custard and cream. Custard and cream you can have. No, sorry, dairy's off. Custard. In fact, you're going to have custard for breakfast, dinner and tea for the next three weeks until your bowel catches up with the rest of your body. <laughs> That's just the way it is, folks. And I got news. Some of you young people think that's funny. And when you get the other side of 50. (laughs) How come only only old people laugh at that? (laughs) Anyway, the problem is it wasn't what they didn't know. The problem, you know, many times some of the most ornery, cantankerous, immature Christians you meet are old people in the Lord who've just gone sour. They've lost their joy. They, they, they want to become the eternal wet blanket. They, they just want to snuff out the joy of everybody else. I met people like that when I was a young Christian. And I was glad I met them because after I met them, I thought, praise God, Lord, please do not let me ever become like these grumpy old men. When I'm an old man, I want to be sweet or dead. <laughs> I prefer sweet <laughs> at the moment. I prefer sweet. But if I'm going to be a sour old puss, I'm yeah, better off dead. These men should have been teaching others. Should have been reaching out. Should have been exhorting the saints. Should have been building their brothers and sisters in Christ up in the Lord. They're, they, they're the older Christians who should have been drawing alongside our young people and saying, hey, listen, okay, you made a bad choice. You know, things didn't work out. That's Okay. How many of you older people have ever gone alongside a young person hey, do you realise it's not against the rules to fail? You're not dead because you fell. You can do an Eric Little and the rest of the tribe can be halfway around the field. Get up and go. Don't lay down there in the mud and die, my friend. Get up and get going. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is able to still use you. In fact, many of the failings in our life, God turns them into great trophies and jewels in our life because we learn from those things so that we can teach others and we can encourage and exhort others. And that's what we should be doing. And that's what these, these men and women here in the book of Hebrews, they should have been. He says, but strong meat belongeth them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. They're able to choose right from wrong because they're walking with God. They're able to make right choices and they're able to help others make right choices because they're exercising themselves in the truths that they know. The Corinthians were an ordinary carnal lot. And yet Paul said to them, you come behind in no gift. They were not lacking 
Their problem was they had people who had favourite preachers, people who had favourite gifts, people who had favourite favourites. They had all these things and they were so immature. And he said, I could not speak unto you as unto babes, but as unto carnal. You're not spiritual, you're carnal. Oh, I've heard some ranting Calvinist rave on about, you know, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Well, you need to go and read 1 Corinthians. They're carnal. They were saved people and they were carnal. What does that mean? They're fleshly. They're living for the world. They had nothing against people who want to call themselves Calvinists. I'm not one, praise God. The only Calvinist I've ever met are people who became a Calvinist by reading another Calvinist. You read your Bible, you want. You look here, these people, they should have been teaching others. They should have been ministering to the graces of God. I mean, if you've lived, if you've lived 30, 40 years walking with the Lord, you must know something. Surely he must have showed you things, taught you things, used things in your life. For what? So you can write stories? So you can sit back and daydream about the golden days? I remember. No, the whole purpose is so you can build others. You see, the, the young people are the church for the next 10 years. There are people here who rejoice in the 10 years God has graciously given here, but 10 years from now, some of them won't be here. And there are young people here who need to start growing into the mould and they need to start exercising some spiritual muscle. You are well fed in this church. You are well taught in this church. You are well led in this church. And there's no excuse for turning this church into a nursery or a creche or a play school. This church needs to continue to be a spiritual lighthouse and a spiritual powerhouse Amen. for God's people and for this community and for our, for our families and for our friends and our friends' friends to reach them with the gospel. We start again with the question, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Are you running well? Are you doing well spiritually or are you falling by the wayside? Are you struggling? Put your finger on the problem. Confess it to God. Get help. One of the things we tell our young people in camp is a set of rules that we go through. First rule, get help. God speaks to your heart, get help. Talk to your pastor, talk to the pastor's wife, talk to one of the older men, old women in the church. People you know who love God will help you live for God. Get help. If you're struggling, there is help. You do not have to drown. You do not have to die of self-pity. You do not have to, you know, go back out into the world as if it's got something to offer. It doesn't. Christ meets every need of his people meets the need of every soul that will meet him that will trust him pastor would you come for